Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. So I want to get to this because earlier this week, the nominees for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame came out for this year's class. Now, the, they won't all get in, and there are some people who are leftovers from previous years that didn't get in. But this year's nominees, Stevie Nicks, Def Leppard, Devo, The Cure, Janet Jackson, Radiohead, Rage Against the Machine, and Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan. Remember that song? Yeah. Some people will think that's all Shaka Khan ever did, but I think she did some more than that. Anyway, I'm looking at this list, and I'm looking at the list of who isn't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and who isn't nominated, who could be eligible to be on there. And I'm struggling with this place, particularly particularly when you remember it took like 412 years for Rush to finally get in. Let me bring in a guy who knows more about music than I could ever imagine knowing about music uh, if I studied it for the next 400 years. His name is Alan Cross. He is the host of the longest-running musical history show that's been on the radio forever, the ongoing history of rock. Again, Alan Cross, thank you for doing this, sir. Appreciate you coming on. Oh, you're welcome. And I probably got the name wrong. Did I screw up the name? I think I screwed up the name. Ongoing History of New Music. It is a terrible, terrible name. But it's a great show. Well, thank you. And Uh, and I've loved listening to it over the years, and it's fascinating. You always come up with interesting stuff. And as I say, you know more about music than I or anyone else listening probably is ever going to. So help me out with this, because I love the idea of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I love the idea of it. I just get frustrated almost every year with who comes up for nomination and who doesn't come up for nomination. Well, you got to remember that this is an old boys club, some very, very connected people who have been working on this for many, many years. I think there's about 900 members who are eligible to vote. But before we get to the actual nominees, there's all kinds of machinations that go on behind the scenes. People jockey for position. They've all got their agendas. They've all got their taste. They've all got their... Uh, axes to grind. So uh, when we end up with, I think, what is it, 11 or 12 that we have, or maybe 15, whatever the, the preliminary nominee list is, that's the result of a lot of fighting in back rooms uh, with, these, with these 800 people. And uh, what's going to happen now is that they will continue to fight and vote and re-vote until they come down to five. Now, there is some fan voting but you got to understand how the fan voting works. Like I said, there's about 900 people whose votes count. There are millions of fans that are eligible to vote for Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions. However, here's how that works. The, the top fan vote-getter out of all those 15, they are recorded exactly one vote. <laughs> one so it's very meaningful. Your single vote out of the millions, then cast as one of 900, you're, you're very important to them. Oh, it, exactly. Now, I understand why they do it. They want to get people all jazzed up about this. They Remember, this is an HBO TV special in April. They got to sell a bunch of tickets for the, uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction at the Barclays Center every April. So, uh, you know what? There is, um, it, it's, it's, in their best interest to hype it up and make the fans as much of this 
as sure. much a part of this as they possibly can. But it's 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 all just show. It really is. And let me say for the record, by the way, a few years ago they put out their 25th anniversary concert, and it was a, a it, one of the best things I've ever seen, honestly, in music. When they had all these different artists playing with different artists, and and uh, you know, Sam, a guy from Sam and Dave uh, playing with Bruce Springsteen and Ozzy Osbourne playing with the Kinks, and I mean, it was it was fantastic. All these different combinations they did. Yeah, I mean. That is, it's a good show for the most part, and there's a lot of drama. Like, which bands are, you know, whose members are, are going to talk to each other? Are they going to play? Are they, you know, who's going to be snubbed? I mean, that's all that's kind of kind of fun. Um, but, you know, it all comes down to whether or not you want rock and roll to be institutionalized in a museum. The, the other issue here is you start looking at these lists. Six of the people on the nominees list have been put forward in the past, and you... Start looking at this, wondering: Is um, are they running out of people to nominate? Are we, you know, how how? I mean, back in the beginning, the bar was really high. You had to have Elvis. You had to have Chuck Berry. You had to have um, James Brown. You know, they're, they're the real, you know, monsters of, of of rock and roll. But as time goes on, you have fewer and fewer people that are of the same caliber. Mm-hmm. So you start you know, watering things down a little bit. I mean, we can look at this year's list and, you know, how many times is Shaka Khan going to be put forward until she gets in? I guess. That's the the answer. Same thing with, with, uh, I guess, the zombies. You know, they're going to, you know, keep nominating them until they they get in. Um, Kraftwerk, you know, one of the most influential electronic bands in the history of electricity, (laughs) they should have been in, you know, the first or second or third year. But uh, but no 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 they they're they're for whatever reason there seems to be a bias against having them in because it's it's just insane that they're not part of the hall already so uh, I guess part of the part of the appeal of all this is that we get to complain maybe so Alan Cross is on the line he is the host of the fantastic ongoing history of new music if you've never heard it go look it up you can find it on podcast you can find it on I believe Apple Music you can find it other places uh, Alan okay let's go through this because you were saying you know how some of the people some of the we're talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame how some of the honorees it's not Elvis and the Beatles anymore it sort of drifted a little bit maybe in the on the, the depth is not quite there for who to put in but how in the world, if you are putting forward Janet Jackson, who you know has had a career for sure, and Janet Jackson sold a lot of albums and everything else, how is Janet Jackson nominated to go into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ahead of Whitney Houston? <clears throat> Good point. Um, why is Debo being nominated ahead of Judas Priest? Now, they had an opportunity last year, but they were, uh, were way, way, way down in the balloting. Uh, there's, there's a bunch of, uh, of, of, of snubs. And we can go on and on about these. Do they do it on purpose? Here, here's the thing. It always, I always wonder if they do it on purpose just so people like you and I have these discussions, because if they did everything perfectly, we might not talk about it. Well, I don't know if they do it on purpose, but they certainly, again, when you have these, these, these guys in the room, and they're almost all guys, uh, there are some really you know, uh, intense feelings about who should and should not be there. And again, you know, there's personal agendas you know there's politics involved uh and you have to you know looking at this year's list with six repeat nominees you got to think okay uh what kind of arm twisting went on to make sure that six previous rejections made the list again so that can tell you that again the the political 
agendas have reared their ugly heads, or or they looked at all the eligible artists and they go, eh, we're going to have to start recycling because hmm. we can't come up with six others. You talk about the political side. Just before we get to the names, when you talk about the Academy Awards or Grammy Awards or things like that, you have the the studios, the record labels, all the others who are lobbying for their artists. Does that happen with this? Do the record labels and the people, the managers and everyone else behind the artists lobby for them to be included? Oh, they do, because any kind of recognition for these artists can be translated into sales, can be translated into streams, can be translated into revenues. This is one of the things that we have to remember when we see all the award shows that start showing up on TV after about September the 1st, from the uh, MTV Music Video Awards to this, this past weekend's American Music Awards. All these TV shows... All these awards programs are all designed to keep artists in the public eye so that people will become curious or feel like they're missing out, go buy the CDs, or more properly, you know, more, more, more probably uh, stream the songs on Spotify or whatever. So the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is all about generating um, interest in back catalogs for these heritage artists. And it does a reasonably good job. If you go back and look at the statistics of sales and streams following the release of the nominees and then the inductees, which happens in December, you'll see that there are spikes in revenue generated by the the, the curiosity of the audience. All right, let's go through some of these names. These are people that, best I can tell, I, I looked through the list, I did not see them in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I believe they are all still out there, not inducted. Just tell me, we, we got to blow through a bunch and we're going to have a very short time to do this. So tell me if they are a absolutely they should be in the Hall of Fame. No, they are not Rock and Roll Hall of Famers or uh, not really sure, all right? All right, and let's also understand that the mandate of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has grown way beyond just rock and roll. Absolutely. There's there's rap in there now, there's hip-hop, there's, I, I, there's a little bit of country, I think, although I'm not really sure. Well, let's start there because country, Willie Nelson, should he be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Uh, yes. All right. Uh, Pat Benatar. In a, you can make an argument because she was uh, a real pioneer in the women in hard rock field. So, yes. John Coltrane. Wow. Um, who is a guy who may not have individually been as successful. Well, he was, but inspired, I guess, more people in rock than, all, than a lot of other people. Right. So he was an experimental jazz guy. Um, uh, God, uh, yeah. Put him in. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, Boston. Not yet. I think we need to let that legacy percolate a little longer. The guess who? I, from a purely nationalistic point of view, would like to see him there, but I'm not sure we can justify them just yet. The Scorpions. No. Sticks. No. Foreigner. Same as Boston. Foreigner. Same as Boston. Carol King. Yes. Absolutely. She was one of the great singer-songwriters, and before that, one of the great songwriters working in the Brill Building with her, uh, with her husband, Jerry Goffin. So, yes. Uh, the next one, I know the answer before you even say it. I can't believe she is not in already. Tina Turner. She's not? No. Oh, that's insane. Really? That's, I have not found her name. I looked, and I did not see it, and I read, looked at a couple of websites that talk about snubs, and she's on that list. All right. Well, that's, that's a huge oversight. Joe Walsh, he's in with the Eagles, but not yeah. by himself. 
I don't think he's, no, he's, no. Uh, if we're talking again about Janet Jackson, how about Mariah Carey? She has, she was the most successful female singer of the millennium, of the 20th century, so I would probably have to put her in there, yes. Here's here's one that uh, I'll be really interested on, Jimmy Buffett. No, why? Because of parrot heads and the fact <laughs> that he's got a Pacino restaurant? No. Well, and because he has a song that everybody knows. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Duran Duran. Um, not yet. I think we need to let that legacy, uh, cook for a little bit longer. Ozzy Osbourne. Yes. He was, he's in with, uh, let's, um, Black Sabbath. He was in with Black Sabbath and he should definitely, I mean, Ozzy was one of the big hard rock stars of the 1980s and he continues to be a big hard rock star selling out people, uh, selling out uh, shows around the planet. So yes, absolutely. Last one. And we got to run, unfortunately, Meatloaf. Ooh. Uh, no. Oh, see. The, <laughs> hey, one album, it really... Uh, <laughs> You're right. Probably, You're he, right. He, he had a couple of singles after after Banner to Hell, but you know what? He's he's really only known for that one record. You are correct. Of course you're correct. I know you're correct, but, uh, you know, Meatloaf, he's like, he, he would be a fun night to watch him perform. Because I've seen him recently, I got free tickets, and he can't carry a tune to save his life anymore, no, but still. He, all, all these old guys have lost their upper range. It's uh, just a... You know, it, what, it's what happens when you age. Uh, Alan Cross is his name. You can go on to his website, which is a journalofmusicalthings.com. There is a blog on there about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominations. Uh, Alan, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. You're very welcome. He is, uh, if you're ever looking for knowledge about musical things, Alan Cross is your guy. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Tina Turner is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but she is in as part of the Ike and Tina Turner review. She's not in as Tina Turner. She's in as part of a group, which is kind of like how Ringo Starr is in. He's also in with the Beatles. Paul McCartney is in. He's always also in with the Beatles. There are people who are in as individual solo artists, and there are people who are in as bands, we mentioned Joe Walsh, he's in with the Eagles, but he also has a solo career. So the, the issue is not, so Tina Turner is in, but not as Tina Turner. She's in as part of Ike and Tina Turner. And you can say the same thing about Jerry Goffin and Carol King. Carol King is in, but as part of a partnership, not just as Carol King. So they are in, but sort of. They deserve to be in on their solo careers. Anyway, we move along. Wanted to, um, Will is in today. Will's on the other side of the glass. Will's the guy who's playing the music and keeping us on the air and all that kind of stuff. I want to bring Will in on this one because I, I don't even know where to begin with this story. That is always a good start. That's a good start. Let me, let me just uh, figure out how I'm going to get into it. Have you ever gone, to, have you ever had to go to the doctor? And I think many people have had this particular situation. You go to the doctor because there's something wrong with you and you have decided somehow through either going on WebMD, which is WebMD is a terrific website, but for the fact that every single thing wrong with you leads you down a path to eventually have cancer. No matter what it is, eventually you will be diagnosed as having cancer if you're on WebMD. Yeah. But have you ever had a situation where you've had something and you thought, I better go to the doctor because you've convinced yourself it's serious. 
that you've, you know, it's this, but oh, what, what if it's this? I better get it checked out. Have you, have you, are you that guy? Are you a hypochondriac? I am not a, a, a hypochondriac, but I have had that experience where it's like, oh, let me see. It's probably, you know, oh no, I'm going to die soon. And then I Ex- go and I Many get people have had that. Many people have had that where yeah. there's something that has come up and they thought, okay, I better, I just really better make sure. Well, there's a guy in Vietnam. <laughs> now... This is one of those cases where a good thing he went to the doctor because he clearly thought something was wrong. And so he went. There was something that was affecting his nasal passage. He wasn't having good breathing. There was something that was blocking his ability to breathe and whatever else you would do in your nasal passage. I don't know, blow your nose or whatever else. It wasn't working right. And so he went to go see his doctor at the ear, nose, and throat clinic in Lao Cai. And there is a video online of this, so I know this to be true because I have watched the video. The doctor has a little, have you seen those? They now have these little tiny cameras that they can put in your nasal passage or down your throat or whatever so they can see what's going on. The doctor's got one of those up the guy's nose and a long pair of some kind of medical tweezers or forceps or whatever you call those long things that you could get up your nasal passage. Grabbers. Gra- thank you. That's, that's a good word for it. A long grabber up his nose and for, boy, longer than I would be comfortable <laughs> with having a doctor reaching in and poking around up my nasal cavity. He is in there working away and prodding around and everything else because this guy has something blocking his nasal passage. And all of a sudden in this video... The doctor finally gets a hold of the blockage and pulls it out. And you want to know what it was? Of course you do. It's a centipede? A long three inch, roughly live leech. Oh. That when the doctor pulls it out and is now squeezing it with these tong things, it is flipping around. It's a blood sucker up this guy's nose. How did it get there? Thank you. And I'm thinking, wait a second, leeches are not land-born creatures. So this is not a case where somehow while he was sleeping, this thing slithered up his nose. And you would think that if you go into the water and a three-inch long leech somehow makes its way up your nostril, you would be aware that there is a creature sliding up your nose. How is it possible that this thing got into his body, into a hole in his body without him knowing this. This was not, uh, you know, the size of a tick or something where you go, oh, it just got in there. It was as long as your finger and it got up his nose somehow. What? How drunk was he when he went to spend the day in the swamp? See, I have a theory. And I think it's something we all do, and we're all going to have a second thought about this now. When you go swimming, and you start to get the runny nose as you're going around, you you do the splash out of the water, and you either do the blow, which is kind of gross, yes. and sometimes you or just... Or the sniff. You do the sniff. He could not have sniffed up a three-inch leech <laughs> without knowing it. And it was alive still. <laughs> and this, is, this, to me, is the most disturbing thing I've ever seen in my entire life, I think. How many days was it up there? I That's don't, a good question. It doesn't say 
It just says the patient and witness both laugh with surprise. Ha ha ha. I had a three inch creature up my nostril sucking my blood until the doctor pulled it out. This is hilarious. What? (laughs) I don't even understand how this is possible. But now every time I blow my nose and it doesn't come out immediately, I am going to be panicked that there is now a blood sucker in my nostril. Horrible story. Go watch it on YouTube or somewhere else. You'll be delighted by seeing this. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, let us bring in Rick Zamperin of 900 CHML. Hamilton, one of Hamilton. Hamilton's leading football mind. Is that right? Is that is that what you told me to say? Uh, pretty close. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't. I forgot the script outside. So yes, I wasn't sure if it was Hamilton's leading football mind or Hamilton's leading football genius. I couldn't remember what you told me to say. <laughs> That's too many syllables. Oh, okay, uh, Rick Zampern, who by the way uh, generally does the fifth quarter, and since the Tie Cats play tomorrow, would normally be doing the fifth quarter tomorrow. But I understand you've passed the baton for a night. I have passed the baton this week. Actually, yesterday, my wife and I celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Yes, made it to two decades. I'm somewhat surprised. I think she is more than I. (laughs) Uh, She's a uh, saint, Rick. She's a saint. (laughs) Yeah. So part of that uh, celebration, we've turned it into a week-long celebration, and part of that includes an event that we're going to be attending tomorrow night, as well as a weekend getaway in the Niagara region. So... Uh, my my calendar is too stuffed to fit in another edition of the fifth quarter. I would love to host it, especially with the Argos, and especially with the epitome of a trap game on the Tiger Cat schedule. But I've passed it on to Ted Michaels, who after a four-year absence is returning to the fifth quarter, and he'll have a fun time, I'm sure. He's like Larry Holmes coming out of retirement for one <laughs> last fight. Well, he's got the physique of... Uh, <laughs> of Larry Holmes uh, in his uh, later uh, years? Uh, yeah. As long as he doesn't just show up wearing no shirt and trunks, we're good. Yeah. yeah. It, if, if, was, was Larry Holmes the guy who climbed the car and tried to drop kick uh, an opponent? Uh, Larry Holmes. That was a Larry Holmes fight. I don't. Was that Larry? No, that was not Larry Holmes who did that. Uh, but I believe Larry Holmes was the opponent. Was he not? Oh, was he? Oh, okay. Um, that was that Mitch Green. Anyway, maybe it was Larry Holmes. It might have been. You know what? You're right. It, I'm going to have to look it up. It might have been Larry Holmes, but he was yeah. definitely involved in that story. So, right, yeah. uh, yes, we don't want Ted Michaels also leaping over any <laughs> vehicles. If this no. if this gig involves him being gymnastic on vehicles, then uh, we may have to make a change here. <laughs> but, yes, they, people can catch up with the fifth quarter. It'll be tomorrow night, Friday night after the game, yep. Hamilton versus Toronto. But let's talk football for a second because, Rick, this comes up occasionally, maybe more than occasionally, and uh, it, it seems to me that it becomes more and more a an issue that we should be considering or that the CFL should be considering. And that is the idea of you've got nine teams. If things go really well, you may someday have 10 teams. One division where the best teams get in and the best teams get by no matter, a by, no matter what conference, what division they're in, the next teams, the next best teams get a home game no matter what division they're in and the fifth and sixth place teams play on the road no matter what division they're in. It seems to make a lot of sense to me. Yes, it does. I mean, certainly in a one-division format, no different than uh, you know the, the Premier League in, in England or City A in Italy or the Bundesliga, all these soccer leagues that 
have for decades had a one division format or at least a premier kind of division they have lower divisions but it's it's not breaking up into broken up into east and west or north and south or whatever the case is it's one singular division with 20 teams or however many teams are in a particular league <clears throat> and more often than not year after year after year the best teams the most talented teams the teams that deserve bye weeks and championship consideration uh, usually uh, elevate themselves to the top of the table or the top of the standings in a cfl scenario if we're talking nine teams and if you want to you know lump in the maritime team uh, and make it an even 10 uh, you know a, a one uh, division format in the cfl i think could have a lot of positives it could also have a lot of negatives too and maybe we'll start with the positives is a, yeah, those, those best teams, those top teams, those ownership groups, those general managers, those coaches that cultivate, uh, drum up the best talent, have the best scouting departments, put money towards those initiatives, uh, they come up with the best, obviously the best roster, and more often than not, they win the most games. So they're rewarded for their commitment to excellence beyond what's just going on on the field. Those teams that aren't very proficient or don't really care about those <clears throat> off-the-field issues, they usually stay at the bottom of the list. Uh, over the last number of years, and we're not just talking five or six or seven, you know, a couple of decades, really since the mid-90s when the, the crossover playoff spot came in, the Western team has always had a crossover position. Not every year, but it's always been a Western team that has crossed over to the East. Never have we had an Eastern team be so good or you know so much better than a western team that they've crossed over to the west so the the positives are you're rewarding those teams that uh, you know have an initiative to to make their team the best they could be Uh, the negative to having a one division format i've I've made this argument in the past is you have a a couple of teams you know even in this game this year with toronto and montreal who around Labor Day or, or in and around that time, you know, their fan base quickly figures that they don't have a hope and heck of making the playoffs. Why should I even bother showing up? I'm going to give my tickets to somebody else, or I'm not going to go and, and buy that flex pack I was planning to at the end of the year. Uh, I'm just not going to, you know, care about my team anymore. And that's that's the risk that those teams that don't invest in their off-the-field um, strengths and, and, and scouting departments or, or whatnot – those teams really suffer in a one division format. But on the same side, it it force it should it should force every team to try to be the best. So it's so it's in that playoff format. I mean, it's no different than the East versus the West, but in a one playoff format, I think those teams that uh, you know don't uh, exhibit the expenditures that they should in those in those initiatives, uh, they really get left out in the cold. Well, Winnipeg right now, for example, has 16 points. They are third in the West. They will not probably, because they're four points behind Saskatchewan now, they probably won't have a home game in the playoffs. They're going to have to go on the road. Hamilton has 14 points. Now, Hamilton, I'm guessing, is going to beat Toronto tomorrow, and I'm guessing is going to beat Montreal near the end of the year, or in the last game of the year, and I would guess they'll win one of two against Ottawa. I think Hamilton goes 3-1 and one to finish the season out. I don't know where you are on this one. But regardless, Hamilton could end up with could end up with fewer points than Winnipeg this year. Hamilton gets a home game automatically just because of a geographic fluke of nature, and Winnipeg doesn't get that benefit where they should. If you finish higher, you should get home field. This is not a 30-team or 32-team league like the NFL where something like that would be 
well, you could do it, I suppose, but it would be more difficult. This is this is a league with nine teams, and especially if you add a if you add a tenth team, it makes the one team division even easier because you play eighteen games in a regular season. If you have nine opponents now, you play a home and away with each of them, and the top six teams get in. Super easy. Yeah. Uh... The CFL isn't the only league that's dealing with these kind of issues where, you know, one team will have a superior record but not get to host a home playoff game. Uh, you look at the NFL, and, and a wild card team could have a better record than a division winner. We've seen that in the past, and that wild card team will not host that playoff game. They might even travel to the team that has fewer wins that is hosting that playoff game. And that's, especially in the CFL, that is huge to host a playoff game because now you're talking added revenues, you're talking, uh, you know, gate receipts, you're talking merchandise, uh, concession sales, all that kind of buzz in the community, you know, those those kind of uh, intangible benefits that you can't really measure in dollars and cents. But hosting a playoff game is massive in the Canadian Football League. And, and you're right, you know, Winnipeg could have uh, could end up with more points than Hamilton. Who knows? They could end up with more points than Ottawa. And Ottawa wins the division, hosts a game, and gets a first-round bye. So, you know, it's nothing new. And I think in a one-division format, you would eliminate all of that. I think the at the end of the day, I think Randy Ambrosi, the commissioner of the CFL, has to get his ownership group together and say, you know, are, are there more pros to a one-division league than cons, both financially and, and, and non-financially? And I don't know, maybe the ownership, uh, the board of governors and the owners go for it. I've I've been of the mind that I like the two-division format. I'm, I'm sort of a traditionalist, but... Uh, I was very pro one division before Halifax gets in. I think once Halifax gets in, I think having, especially having five teams aside, I think the league is almost forced to say, all right, now we have to stick with this East West because it's a true, you know, five division team here and a five division or five team division on this side. Uh, I was thinking, you know, with, with nine teams and uneven number of teams, you go with that one division format until the Halifax or the Atlantic schooners, whatever the heck they're going to be called gets in and then you go back to that two-division format. Do you believe that a Grey Cup featuring Calgary versus Edmonton or Saskatchewan versus Calgary would be somehow less interesting than a Grey Cup that has Ottawa versus Calgary? Or no, pick, or pick so. your East or West teams, whoever yeah, it would be. I, I don't think so. I didn't, Obviously, it's always been that way, but I think there, I mean, even right now, there's an opportunity where a West team can play a West team or an East team can play an East team for the Grey Cup. I think having East versus West, you know, with the, with the division alignments, how they are, I think, uh, you know, the novelty, I mean, really, it isn't a novelty anymore. It's more tradition than anything. I think the big novelty will be, hey, we have two Western teams combating for a Grey Cup or two teams from the East division in the in the Grey Cup because one team has is, is crossed over. We haven't seen that yet. But, you know, I, I, I think most fans would say they just want to see the two best teams in the great I Cup. agree. I agree. And and a lot of the times we're seeing the two best teams in the Western final uh, because, you know, in, in this case, it could be Calgary and Saskatchewan or, no, you know, Edmonton might get real hot and, and win their last three or four games and uh, play uh, Calgary in, in, in the West final. Uh, yeah, I think fans just want to see best on best in every scenario. And, and the only other scenario they want to see and it kind of develops over time as the playoffs progress is the David versus Goliath, the, you know, Calgary versus, you know, in this case, I guess it would be Montreal. Um, and that to a degree doesn't have the same amount of intrigue as best on best, but I think there's a lot of 
you know, intrigue uh, involved in a, in a in a one versus almost last kind of team. There was a time, and I grant you this, there was a time way, way back when essentially the only things connecting this country were the railroad and the CBC, that East versus West had a had an interesting thing to it because they were mysterious out there, and it was there was a division in the country. We were a big country, but we had our little regions more than we do now. We have every single game on TV. You, see, you can see every team in every single game. There is no mystery. There's no secrecy. Calgary does no longer, I don't think, seem to any Easterner to be a mysterious, weird place where they wear big belt buckles and cowboy hats. I mean, it's <laughs> like it's just another city. Vancouver is not a weird, unusual city. T- to me, there is nothing that's really other than division separates East and West in this country. And I'm with you. I want to see the best two teams in the final. And if they happen to play in the same conference, bring it on. I I just want to see that. I I don't care if there's an East and a West. You make a good point about, you know, the mystery aspect of East versus West. I mean, we're talking way back in the 50s, 60s, Mm -hmm. and maybe even the 70s to a a smaller degree. But I think, you know, uh, with with TV networks, with uh, the internet, social media, um, um, you know the, the league trying to uh, promote their players. There's there's no mystery as as to who plays on which team. Back in the day, uh, you know you'd have you, you'd have a team come to town and you would have to read up on all these players because you wouldn't know who you know Joe Blow on the Calgary Stampeders was. Or and unless you went to the game. There's a very good chance that when the Grey Cup rolled around, you would have never live seen that guy play. Exactly. Right? They yeah. weren't on TV all the time. So there were mysterious things to these teams that you didn't see very often. Right. And you read, you know, maybe player profiles or kind of game reports from the newspaper. And this this might be your only exposure to that team or that player uh, for, for the entire season. So, yeah, the, nowadays with, uh, as I mentioned, all the, uh, you know, the, the TV and the radio and the magazines and newspapers and uh, social media and the internet, uh, and, and not only that, players moving from team to team. I mean, we've, we've had players come here and go elsewhere and come back, and there's no mystery as to who's in the league. Uh, we're seeing, uh, you know, every player on the field, and we're able to go in-depth as to, you know, where they went to college and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, the, the mystery aspect has long evaporated from, from that landscape. I don't look. I don't expect that Randy Ambrosi is going to do this. I think he's made it pretty clear that he likes the two division format. But I don't understand, and we got to go. I don't understand how the Western team owners are not screaming for this since year after year after year. Their teams are often superior, and one of them, or sometimes two of them are on the outside of the playoffs looking in only because there is a divisional, Gap. I mean, if I'm if I'm a Western team, there is a team in the West this year that is going to miss the playoffs. That is going to be massively better than Toronto or Montreal. And you say, okay, so why why am I being penalized just because I happen to be in the wrong conference? I, if I'm a Western owner, I'm saying, you know what? Let let's go with this one. This this will work better for us. You know, and if it was put to a vote, I I would have no doubt that it would be five four and all. Five Western teams would vote yes to a one-division format, and all four Eastern teams would vote no because it seems every single year only two teams from the East are able to make the playoffs because the other two just aren't good enough. 
Rick Zamperin, you cannot hear him tomorrow on the fifth quarter <laughs> after the game, but you'll hear him all the other games on the fifth quarter. Tomorrow, you can have a flashback Friday and tune in for Ted Michaels doing the fifth quarter. Is he going to be sober, Rick? I hope so. Okay. Because I know oh, the callers so. aren't always, although, you know, sometimes those are the most entertaining calls, especially after a loss. But no, Ted is Ted Ted does not tipple before he does the fifth quarter. So he will be good tomorrow. <laughs> you can uh, you can hear Ted and Rick will enjoy his uh, his twentieth anniversary. Congratulations on that and to your wife as well. Thank that's you. that's a Thank great you. achievement and uh and uh, she's not that much of a say you're you're an okay guy. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Again, he told me to say that. Rick Zanfron, really appreciate the time today. Enjoy the time. You got to take care. Thanks. No, you know what? We tease him. Rick is one of the really good guys, honestly, in the business and anywhere else. If you get a chance to bump into Rick at any time, you will be a lucky person. He's, a, he's, he's one of the good guys in this business. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.